This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One of the big questions is, what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. I do own Bitcoin. There is no second past. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. Hello, my name is Tracy, and I'm joined by my pals, Blake and Craig. How are you going, guys? Hey, Tracy, pretty well. How are you? G'day, Trace. Hey, boys. Today we talk about security, but what we thought we'd do is we'd fill you in on a few of the not so great stories over the last few years so we can all learn from their mistakes. And then what we'll do is take you through a few steps that you can take to make sure your crypto portfolio stays safe. Craig, do you want to kick things off? You hear a lot about crypto being full of scams and you may have even received scam emails or seen scam tweets of Elon Musk giving away Bitcoin. So it is rife in the sector, but this is no different to what's been around the internet for years. And, you know, online scams has been a huge issue on the internet and traditional banking. That's right. That's in part why we kind of use services like PayPal that you know, really help with fraud prevention. Because before services like that, you know, there were so many people losing money by putting their credit card details onto the internet and those credit card details being stolen or being skimmed off the top from hackers. And over the past five or so years, the security with regards to online payments has become far more robust and a lot safer for people to participate. But it did take a long time for that to mature. But right now, crypto is a little bit more on the unknown side. And there are many people entering the market uneducated to the risks and how they can keep themselves and their funds safe. So let's talk about a few funny and perhaps not so funny scams and accidental losses that have occurred over the last few years. And these are to do with different ways in which you can keep your crypto safe. So the boys and I have gone away and looked at a few different things that have happened and we've all got one or two to tell you today. So we'll start with you, Blake. What have you got for us? I'm going to touch on exchange hackings and there's one in particular that um, has created a lot of trauma in the industry over the past 10 years and it's the Mt. Gox story. And Mt. Gox was an exchange um, from 2010 founded by a guy named Jeb uh, McCaleb and it was actually a website initially designed to trade fantasy game cards and he was based out of based out of Japan at the time and he basically changed the function of the website to then start trading bitcoins and at this time it was the biggest bitcoin exchange on the internet and he was running it from his personal computer and he was doing most of the global trading volume for bitcoin at that point in time and back then there was an exchange hack 
where 850,000 bitcoins were stolen. And this is at a point in time when security wasn't at the forefront of people's minds. They, everyone that was using the exchange just assumed it was safe. But really, it was extremely unsafe and had very little fraud prevention or security in place. And ever since then, it's created you know, trauma within the industry and a saying that everyone says that if you don't have your keys your private keys, then you don't own the crypto. And it all came from this incident of Mt. Gox being hacked. So since then, there's been a much stronger push towards people understanding how to manage their own crypto and not leaving their coins on exchange because there is the chance if they are on an exchange, then they can be stolen by third parties. And, you know, this has continued not just from the Mt. Gox um, incident, but also many other exchange hackings, including Bitfinex, which is a big trading exchange. They lost about 1,200 Bitcoins in 2016. And even here in Australia with an exchange that uh, one of the founders stole all of the coins from the exchange. So I think there's an overarching lesson to to learn here is that never keep too many coins on an exchange and only keep what you have to on an exchange because technically if um, they are an exchange they're, they're not your coins. So Blake with the Mt. Gox one which was 2010 and that's a, a lot of Bitcoin how much has been paid back or is it all you know what's what's the process there? Not exactly sure I know some of the coins have been recovered and the Japanese government has spent many years working towards getting those Bitcoins back to the people who made a claim. As I understand it, they weren't, they weren't all recovered and it may still be, still be in, in process now. Yeah, okay. It's a lot of Bitcoin. Craig, what have you got for us? I've got one as well, another exchange hack that was Quadrica. Have you guys heard about this one, the Canadian one? No. No, no. Yeah, so Quadrica lost equivalent to $135 million in crypto. And there's actually a documentary about it on Netflix called the Looking for the Crypto King. Um, it's super interesting to see the story of like how crazy it was back in the 2010 to 2014 days for these exchanges. But also what we see now, for me especially, is phishing is a real big problem in crypto at the moment. So there's these things called spoof websites and they trick you into putting your seed recovery phase in. So a spoof website is a website that pretends to be a legitimate website. So I actually have a friend who went on a fake pancake swap exchange, which is a legitimate decentralized exchange. He went on there thinking it was the real thing, but it wasn't. And the website prompted him to put his recovery phase in. And since he gave them his recovery phase, they were able to log in to his wallet and take the coins out. So hard lessons to be learned there, Trace. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think it might be just really important to touch on MetaMask is, um, is a cryptocurrency wallet that people can integrate into their Chrome browser. And your recovery phase is basically your backup for your crypto and you never you never want to share this with anybody and the lesson here in this circumstance craig i think is that you know, you never share your recovery phrase which is a 12 word 
backup password for your wallet. And um, you absolutely never want to share that with anyone, even if a website prompts you. Well, in saying that, you should only put it in to the official wallet you know, website when you're recovering your wallet on a new device or on a new browser. But you should never, ever put it on a website 100%. And just on that, how do they tell whether a site is legitimate? How can they tell that they're doing the right thing on the right site? There's a couple of ways that you can do that. Firstly, make sure in your URL line, there's a little lock and safe next to the website name. And the second one is that when you do a Google search, make sure it's a verified website. And all the major crypto wallets have been verified by Google, such as Trezor and MetaMask. And when they have the blue little tick, that's you know the one to select. And then another way that you can further prevent yourself from being spoofed in this way is that when you go onto the official website, make sure you save it to your bookmarks. So then you're always going back to the same website. And even if a fake website with a similar name pops up, it won't be the one that you always navigate to. Yep. Some very good advice there. And you might've heard a story that was going around last year about a guy in the UK who was begging his local council to dig up eight years of trash at his local tip. So this gentleman claims to have lost a hard drive that was similar to, he had two apparently, two hard drives, and he threw the, the wrong one out. And the one that he threw into the trash had 7,500 bitcoins on there. So, uh, you know, at current price, that's $450 million worth of bitcoin. So he's been in conversations with his local council, begging them to to go through and, and wade through this trash. I don't know how he thinks he'd find it after eight years. And his, his promise to them was he'd give them... 25%. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of money, but they've just said obviously for health and safety reasons and the money that it would take to do it, they're not they're not really interested in, in doing that. And then similarly, a guy in San Fran, uh, also similar amount, 7,000 on um, his hard drive, but he's just forgotten or misplaced the details of his um, recovery phrase. So both of these people have actually lost their recovery phrase. So they both cannot access their Bitcoin. And funnily enough, they both work in IT, so they should have known better. Exactly right, Tracy. And I think there's a lesson here just to recap and that whenever you're setting up a new cryptocurrency wallet, you will get a 12 word recovery phrase. And this is something that you want to be very careful in writing down and then storing somewhere that's very safe. Uh, so that if you ever do have an issue with your wallet, it's like a backup. You can always recover the wallet. And it's always best practice as well um, to do a test recovery every six to 12 months just to make sure that you've done it correctly. Because the last thing we want to do is end up like one of these guys losing um, your life-changing amount of money. Actually, one of my neighbors, he went to the effort of soldering his phrases into a bit of metal in case there was a house fire and then he put that into his safe and then his safe got stolen <laughs> so oh, i know Jesus. yeah so what are the odds there's another story that i'd like to touch on as well and it kind of feeds into this you know always making sure that you have a backup and i know someone that was part of the ethereum ico and he didn't put much in, but he ended up, I think, with about 9,000 Ethereum. And it was stored on an old computer, and um, he forgot about it for several years. And then when he saw the price of Ethereum, he you know, obviously wanted to recover 
where they were on his old computer and the old computer wasn't working anymore it was in his garage they couldn't get it started so he said to a friend of his that if he was able to get the ethereum off the old hard drive that he would give him half so the gentleman was able to help him out and get the ethereum the 9000 ethereum off the hard drive and then the first gentleman who who owned the bitcoins actually reneged on the offer he didn't end up giving him half he i think he gave him i think he gave him a hundred grand but you know this these stories happen all the time where people you know have saying that's maybe not valuable when they buy them but several years later you know it's a life-changing amount of money so um, we just always have to be really careful about with all the crypto that we store yeah and look i've got one more which i'll talk about which was a hack that was publicized quite a bit earlier this year which was the ledger hack so we spoke a little bit in previous episodes about the hard wallet and the two main hard wallets are ledger nano and trezor so ledger was uh, hacked late last year as a company and the files that were hacked were originally publicized as email addresses and they originally had said that there was something around 9,000 emails that were distributed. Uh, it came to light that it was more like a million that were that were distributed and went out onto the web. So a million emails of people who had bought ledgers and and then it came even further to light that it was not just emails but it was phone numbers names and even addresses of people so that's a huge security breach that's happened there with ledger and then you know as you can imagine anyone that has bought a ledger started to get you know scamming and, and phishing emails because obviously then the people on on the dark web that have of making use of these email addresses know that these people obviously have cryptocurrency so this was a huge deal and, and a lot of people very unhappy with Ledger at the time or getting these these phishing attacks. And what, they, what, what happened also was that they assumed that people who had bought a Ledger may also have a Trezor. So they were getting a little bit more sophisticated and attacking people that you know, perhaps had trezors as well. But the takeaway on that one is that the ledger and the trezor, the units themselves have never been compromised. This hack was purely from ledger as a company, but the trezor and the ledger that you have at home that you're storing your crypto on themselves have never been hacked. We're going to go to a break now, but when we get back, we're going to talk about all the steps that you need to take to make sure that your crypto remains safe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
So security works differently on different platforms. So let's start off with those of you who might have started with a micro savings app like Bamboo. So the industry is really evolving, Tracy, where you know, many apps and exchanges use institutional custody providers. And these are basically like digital vaults that, you know, set up the infrastructure for banks and, you know, cryptocurrency exchanges and and cryptocurrency apps. And Bamboo uses one called Fireblocks. They hold about $80 billion in cryptocurrency and they're, you know, industry leading and they make it very easy for others to store crypto extremely safely while at the same time being able to move them around when necessary and this means that you know platforms like ours don't have to manage physical devices um, which takes a big burden off um, and and makes it uh, much safer for our customers. So that's apps like Bamboo and Raise and things like that that we don't have to worry about security on. Yeah that's right Trace and you know when you're ready to move off these apps or you're using an exchange you can be assured that you know exchange hacks are becoming less and less likely with these companies like fireblocks and really high grade security solutions but in saying that if you're using an exchange there is a lot of personal responsibility things like having a two-factor authentication having a recovery phase written down for exchanges as well and having a last pass where you're not just putting in your dog's name and um, your favorite drink, you're actually putting in random numbers and letters on your LastPass, which, you know, cannot be guessed by anyone. Yeah, LastPass is a password manager and it can randomly generate passwords for you with like 24 random letters and numbers um, that makes it really strong and difficult for people to hack. And just looking at two-factor identification, and most people would be using the Google Authenticator app on their phone for that, which still has a long way to go for development because at this point in time, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, if you have the app and you've got the Authenticator set up, and at the moment I've got, say, a dozen in there that I use, if I then change phones, which I'm due to do very soon, and I can't bring that across, I lose all of those. You can, can you bring it across? Because I couldn't last time I, I did this two years ago and I had to. So the way that it works is that when you do set up your two-factor authentication for any website, it's going to give you a recovery phrase or um, a string of numbers and letters that you can use to then produce the two-factor authentication on any device, right? And it's really important that you copy this and put it, somewhere very safe um, for example in a password holder like LastPass so that if the situation happens where you lose your phone or you need to upgrade you can then still reinstall you know the 2FA for any particular website on a new device. So 2FA generally can be a text message to your phone on a phone number but a lot of the exchanges prefer it to be sent to an on your phone and won't let it be just a text to you and some even want it to be a text and something that's sent to your app as well so there that therein lies the problem i'll quickly talk about an example where 2fa saved me so i have a binance account and one day i got an email through to my personal email account saying that someone's just tried to attempt to log in to my binance account and i was like oh that's weird and i thought that was a spoof email 
or a fake email. But then I went into Binance and had a look at the logs and it looks like someone actually brute forced my password right and got into the second stage but then they weren't able to get into my account because I had two FA enabled and it's very very difficult what does brute force mean Blake what does brute force mean? brute force essentially means that they're running millions of combinations of letters and numbers to try and break your password so they use quite a lot of computing power to try and get in and so if you're making very simple passwords like your your dog's name then um they're going to be brute forced very easily. Now, I had a pretty cruddy password on my Binance account and it was brute forced. And, you know, I was lucky that my 2FA saved me. Oh. Um, and this is its fu- this is its purpose. Oh, wow. There you go. I'm very lucky. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the micro-savings apps and how the onus there is on the company in the, in the most part. And we looked at exchanges who have become much more secure in recent times, but you still need to make sure that you have password protection and you have activated your two-factor identification. So now let's look at what you can do when you have maybe got to the point where you've made some purchases of crypto and got to a point where that money that you've got, you know, is a significant amount and means something to you. And you, you should probably be taking that offline and using something like a hard wallet. Yeah, a hard wallet is essentially a little USB-like device that you store your crypto on. Now, we spoke about it before, but with these little hard wallets, you get a recovery phase, which is essentially the phrase that you use to recover your assets if you were to lose your device. So with this solution, it's a solution that requires the most responsibility because if you As we said before, if you lose your keys or your hard wallet, there's no support desk. There's no live chat to ask for it back. If it's gone, it's gone. So this is probably the most secure way, but definitely the most, um, you know, high responsibility way. And the the key reason why it's most the most secure method of storing your crypto is because it's offline. It's cold. It's not touching the internet. It's in your safe. So that means it's almost impossible for somebody to hack and steal your Bitcoins. However, then, as you said, Craig, the onus is on you to keep that device safe. And has there ever been an instance where someone's hard wallet has been hacked? Not that I've heard of. Yeah, not that I've ever heard of. No, me either. I'm sure we would have heard of it by now. So if you want to buy a hardware wallet, a Ledger or Trezor, it's really important that you go to a certified reseller. I know the Trezors are made um, in Europe and it can take some time to get here. But if you do buy it from a reseller here in Australia, just be very, very careful who you purchase it from um, because there have been circumstances where people have made fake devices and sold them to people so that they could you know, steal their Bitcoins that they load up onto them. Yeah, even then, you know, people, if you buy one off Amazon even or eBay, you can also get into the risk of buying one that's already pre-wired that someone can just easily take your Bitcoins from you after that. So as Blake said, making sure they're the legit reseller. So hopefully you've come away from this episode understanding a bit more about how to keep your recent purchases safe. So now let's move on to this week's listener's question, which comes from Shane, who has asked, 
I'm curious to learn more about what burning is and refers to. And I'm going to pass this one over to Blake. Yeah, no worries. I can talk about burning, Tracy. So in the you know, crypto sphere, burning a token means that you digitally destroy a token forever. And you might ask, you know, why do you want to do this? And the key reason is that most cryptocurrencies have a fixed supply. Um, for example, with Bitcoin, there's 21 million coins. Now, if I was to burn one Bitcoin, means destroy it forever, send it to a, a burner address, then that would reduce the supply of Bitcoin. Now, projects now use this mechanism to manipulate the economics of the circulating supply. And two things really dictate price of a particular asset, its supply and demand. Now, if the supply is reducing and the demand is increasing for any particular asset, then the assumption is that the price would go up. So many projects, including Ethereum, automate a burning mechanism so that over time, the amount in circulating supply reduces and therefore the assumption is that the price will go up. And hopefully that cleared a few things up for you there, Shane. Burning can be a hard topic to understand. And that's it for today's episode. But before I go, a bit of exciting news. Check out our blog, which will have more resources to help you on your journey. Go to the show notes to find out the link. Please keep the questions coming. We want to know what you want to know about crypto. So send us an email at podcast at getbamboo.io or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast app. And that's it from us. See you next week. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Crypto Curious is a product of Equity Meets Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Meets gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Crypto Curious are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act of 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the asset resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In a spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Crypto Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.